0: Okay, I've got two questions you have to know the answers to. Number 1, is anyone going to be here at this building tonight at 5:30? No. So everybody got that one. And it's going to be because what time do we start at Fowler Center tonight? 5. Don't say 5:30. 5. Good. So you guys got it. Be there. Be there. There's all sorts of reasons Why you need to be there. Number one among them, we're going to be able to praise God with people from all over the area, not just us. And so I know Grace Point is canceling service or moving services to Fowler Center. And so we'll be meeting with them, and it's going to be cool to be able to meet with them. Great people. And, And I know some from Perigold are coming. I know David, who is going to have our opening prayer and welcome tonight, he's bringing a group from Salem. David Gibson, that is from Salem. So we're going to have people from all over. Don't don't, ref, don't keep from contributing your voice to that. It's going to be a great experience. And so please, please make the effort to be there. I, I wanted to show you a special picture sent to me last night. Apparently at uh, uh, the Nick's house, uh, the kids decided, yeah. The kids decided to play church, and so Rosalind had to prepare Cyrus to be the proper preacher. Notice the wonderful beard. Is that not the sweetest thing in the world? Now, I do know after talking about what he did in class last Sunday, I know that, that, that they were in services, uh, the kids' church was going on same time, Sunday night, and they said he got up and said a prayer, God, would you make this service end quick? You know, so I don't know exactly, you know, what his church experience is, but this is him preaching last night. That's so endearing. I just want to take that in for a minute. That's just beautiful. Thank you. Thank um, you. It is weird. I, I was thinking this morning, trying to get around to everybody, and, and I'm going to tell you, I'm trying to take in the look of everybody because uh, often during the week I'll send a message and say, you know, hey, I missed you Sunday, and they, and they text back or they say something back like, well, I was there, and I just missed you. Uh, don't be offended if that happens. I just didn't see for some reason, but I see Autumn and Western right now, Western right now. I'm not going to send you one this week. But you know, if you had four kids, it would be a lot easier to see you all. Anyways, uh, but, but anyway, if I do that, don't be offended. But what's interesting is, as we gather this morning, I want you to think about this. Um, I, I know there's some people from California and there's some people from Mississippi. And you'll hear Mississippi pronounced properly if you talk to him. Visiting their loved ones who are here in the area. We have people who are working on their houses, and they're living in temporary, you know, where they're not going to be for very long, uh, uh, and it kind of makes life rushed. And I know there are people who are about to send their kids off to college just shortly, and I know that's on their minds. And I also know that some of those people are becoming uh, empty nest families. That's in their head as they gather today. I know a huge family of the Smiths who in about few hours right here from this stage are going to bid farewell and memorial service to their loved one. I know there are people who within just a short amount of time are going to add a child to their family and all the excitement and all the stress that adds to you. There are real lives being lived in the assembly It's here and so we come together from all these different emotions all these different thoughts, and we're all gathering to think the same thoughts. Isn't that weird? I don't know how in the world that everybody can get needs met like that, but I do know this. There's one message that if you get nothing else, there's one message today that hits you right where you need it. And we're going to give that message right now Jesus loves me, this song I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me, the Bible tells me so. We are on Outreach Habit number 3. This is a weird series for me. It's not expository. We don't have a heart passage that we use, which takes me out of my element. And I also know it's not anybody else's favorite either. I have the first two, and remember the first two, that, that every week, and especially till November, and I hope for the rest of your life, every week you look for three people that you can bless, at least one of them not a member at Valley View. It doesn't have to be a huge blessing that takes forever to organize and plan and prepare. No, just just a blessing to somebody. Three people to bless. And then, and then every week, if you can, go out and eat with someone a little different, other than just you and your family. Invite someone to your house or go out and eat with them and have a spiritual conversation. Just one simple spiritual conversation. Those are the two habits we've talked about so far. And everybody says the same thing. I know it's in the text, and I know you prove that... And I really like the message, but I'm not going to do it. That's what most people said. I know it's a good thing, but I'm probably not going to do it. And there's nothing that takes the wind out of a sail for a preacher more than passing them on Sunday morning saying, love the thought, but I ain't going to do it. And I'm thinking, well, I don't really like that. So I'm going to end the series short, which is this is going to be the end of it anyway. But I want to give a third habit that might be a little more little more feasible for you to do in your life. I don't think any more people will necessarily do it than the previous two, but I want you to see it for yourself before I give that actual habit. Colossians chapter 3. This was a on the, on the screen is this verse, and, and this was like our memory verse last year. And we, we, we went over it over and over again. Since then you've been raised with Christ, Set your hearts on things above, or Christ is seated at the right hand of God. That's a a fact that's already happened. That's what God's already provided for you. Those of you who are baptized believers this morning, this is true of you already. God's done this. Verse 2 depends on you. This is one of those major missions statements that comes to the Christian life when you become a believer. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. You need to program your brain. Your mindset all your life has been on here and now on the earth and all the philosophies and all the ways of human thinking. That's, been in you. That's your mindset. Now when you become a Christian, you've got to on purpose, intentionally set your mind on heavenly things, the truths of God. It's hard to do. It's not a miracle that happens. It's not something the Holy Spirit comes into your life and brain transplant automatic. No. This is an engagement that you have to involve yourself in. It's an imperative tense. It's a command. How in the world do we do this? Change our entire mindset. How you evaluate and how you think. How do we change that? Women, I expect a little response from you the ability to change a man's mind is incredibly complex. Is there not an amen at all in this crowd? <laughs> to change a man's mind takes quite an effort, right? Is that not true? To men, to change a woman's mind is very challenging. Uh-huh. I- Something out of that. I relate to that better. And that's exactly what God calls us to do. When you become a believer, when you have taken advantage of God's offer to, to bless your life and save you, you then take on a process of changing your mind. Here's how he says it Romans chapter 12 Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, and view of God's mercy, given what God has done for you, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed in your mind. You need a brain transplant. That's what has to happen for the Christian. You become a believer, you're saved, yes, but now you've got this process of changing your mind. How in the world can such a tall order be met by people ingrained in worldly thinking? The way Paul describes it elsewhere, put off the old man, it's corrupted by its deceitful get you a new mind, and then put on the new self. The new mind has to go first. You have to start changing your minds. I'm reading a book right now, and I have a copy of it here somewhere, and I just lost it. The Righteous Mind, Why Good People Differ on Politics and Religion. It's a good question, isn't it? Why is it that we have such a wide array of opinions politically and religiously, even though we're all spirit-led people, right? Christians at least. You ever go on Facebook and wonder, how can sister so-and-so believe that? You ever wonder that? I wonder that all the time. With some of you, it's with every one of your posts. But anyway, as we think about this, here's how he does all this research, and he says this. Every person in your brain is a rider on an elephant. You are riding an elephant. There's a man riding an elephant. An elephant is a big creature that lumbers along, it's powerful and strong, and it does what it wants, and that rider exerts some influence, but not a whole lot. That elephant basically does what that elephant wants to do. And here's how he describes it. That rider is your intellect, your thinking, the way you rationalize and think through things, and that elephant is your gut, your intuition, your feelings, your emotion, the way you've always done it, the way you've always been taught, the way you've experienced it. You, most of, the, most of your life, go through life with that, like that elephant, and you do not really change your thinking. You just respond to things as you always have. You go by your emotion and your gut. Somebody says something to you, and it's your gut. Here's how weird this is. You've got a person who likes, let's say, President Trump, really likes President Trump, and you're shown this video of how he talks so disparagingly of women, and it just totally you don't, it doesn't even register with you. You've already decided about him, and so this thought that doesn't fit what you already think just gets tossed. You don't even think about it. You don't grapple with it. You don't struggle with it. He's the Messiah. That's the kind of idea, right? There are lots of people like that, and you're wondering, how in the world do we go through life like that? But you can't think of everything. When you go through life, you can't respond to everything with deep thought. You have to go by basically how you've always done it. In the Christian life, this explains, by the way, a few things. It explains why on Facebook you can't just send this well-worded and reasoned argument in an article to a friend who doesn't believe what you believe and think that article is going to change their mind. I'm telling you, quit doing that. that, is what I'm saying. You're not going to change somebody's opinion on this article, you just love what this guy says. You can't convert somebody by just keep sending them the Spencer Furby sermon CDs. It's just not going to work. It's, that's not how people change their opinions. And here's another one. You're not going to convert people by badgering them and debating them all the time about the same issue over and over again, even if you have book, chapter, and verse, you are not going to change their mind that way. They're riding this elephant. They've thought this thing through, and to get to the rider is very difficult. But even if you get to the rider, for the rider to then get to the elephant is very almost impossible. And yet, when you become a Christian, the challenge is... You've got to reprogram that elephant that's got in your life. How in the world do we do that? Let me give you an exa- example of the way Paul describes this in Romans chapter 8 in a couple of verses. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. Those people who live according to whatever their body impulses say or, or whatever they're feeling at the time or what they've always thought, they watch the same movies over and over again and they think the same way. These people feed their minds worldly stuff, and they're worldly. And a lot of these people in the church, even. Because what, you're, what you feed your mind is what you are. And then he goes along and he says, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit change their minds. They set their minds on things of the Spirit. Now, all of a sudden, the Spirit takes control, and the Spirit says to certain movies, you don't need to watch There's certain music you don't need to listen to. There's certain people you don't, you don't need to be hanging around just because you can't handle that. And because I'm letting the Spirit change my mind, it changes my behaviors. But a lot of people, when they become a Christian, all they do is add a little church attendance to everything else, but they don't really change anything. Everything just goes on as it ever has. Watch the same stuff and have the same interest and have the same conversations with my friends. It doesn't change anything. I just add a little church attendance to my life. And that's all that conversion is to them. Paul says, you've got to let your spirit decide what you think about and watch and meditate on. And he says, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation We have a job to do. We have an obligation. It's not to the flesh. Don't live according to the flesh. Don't think according to the flesh. Don't watch movies according to the flesh. Don't listen to music according to the flesh. You keep doing that, you're going to die. But if you, through the Spirit, put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Now now you're reprogramming that elephant, and it's going to take every fiber of your being to do it. Why should you engage in this? So you have a man who becomes a Christian but he keeps doing the same old things he always did he just becomes basically a fleshly Christian but then you have this young lady who decides I'm gonna intentionally redirect my attention and my interest and my values to something else I'm gonna reprogram my mind by what I do and what I think and she becomes a person who thinks out of the mind of Christ and so this guy as he's writing the book says if you want to change and reprogram that elephant, there are only two ways. And he does all these studies that proves this, he says. One is this. The reasons for changing are embedded in friendly conversations. As I interact with friends, as people I care about and respect, as we have conversations, not agitating ones, not debating ones, but as we have conversations with people I care about, suddenly I start listening and changing. This church is why fellowship is so important. People really don't change just because the Bible says something. People will change when people they love agree with Scripture and they start changing. We need each other to do this. In Bible classes, I think what it means is instead of having long lectures, we need to be having dialogue with one another and challenging one another in the way we view things. That may cause you to start thinking and changing your mind. Here's the second way that the the elephant can be reprogrammed. It's reasons for changing are made, and yes, you do offer them intellectually arguments, but they're made in a compelling way that reaches the heart. I'm not just going to send you a few bullet points, or I'm not going to send you two or three Bible verses. Say read these, and your mind will be completely changed. Most people won't, but it's got to be put in a compelling context. And I'll tell you how Paul does this. Colossians chapter 3, before he ever says, set your mind on higher things, he says, you've been raised with Christ. Because of what Jesus did for you, you've been lowered in the waters of baptism. You've been raised. You've been you've been joined with the death, burial, and resurrection of the Savior who died for you. In Romans, it looks like this. He says, before, he says, be transforming your mind. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, given what God has done for you, and he's just written 11 chapters about what God's done for them. In Ephesians, before he ever talks about 4 through 6 and all the commandments of how you change, he says, chapters 1 through 3, look at what God's already done for you. I've got to, we've got to put it in a context of what God has done. Before we have sermons that are challenging, we need a Lord's Supper about look at what already Jesus did for us that challenged Him and He went all the way to the cross for you. Before we talk about your response, let's talk about what He's already done. So complete this with me. We love God because He first loved us. Tell me that love story first. There's, a people, there's people that came along and said, we're reading the Bible all wrong. We've read it as a rule book. We should read it as a love letter. And I used to go, that sounds so sappy. But it's true. This is a letter God wrote us about directing and orienting our lives. But before he ever did that, he said, let me tell you, let me just remind you what I've done already. We serve a God who is crazy in love with us, And wants more than anything else to be in union and fellowship with us. And he's done everything he can. There's certain things we're going to have to do in response. But before you know that, know what he's already done. While you were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But you're going to ask, what's that got to do with an outreach mindset or habit? What does this have to do with adding something to my life that makes me a person? with outreach focus. I'm so glad that was on your mind. I could read it in your eyes. I saw the interest as you sat on the very edge of your pew. I saw it. I'll respond to it. I want to challenge you to 30 minutes every week in an exercise to change your mind. If we're going to do a mindset change, you're going to actually retrain the elephant that's in you If you're going to retrain that elephant to where you have different responses to things, it's going to take some effort. Now, this isn't really long enough. When you think about this, you've been all your life, that elephant's been formed by all the things on the news and the media and all the things that you're around and the things that you've tried and people have told you. To offset that with 30 minutes a week is very challenging. I don't know how in the world to do it, but it's possible that the quality of that 30 minutes is enough to start reprogramming that elephant. But I also know it's realistic. I might get 30 minutes. I I think people might be able to find this, that if I said to you four hours a week, you go, forget that. I won't even consider it. So let's try 30 minutes. Let me tell you what to do with your 30 minutes, just give you a challenging uh, way to do this. This is mindset training. Number one, eliminate distractions. Jesus put it this way in the Sermon on the Mount. When you have prayer, when you have time with me in communion, what I want you to do is I want you to go in your closet and shut the door. This is the only time Jesus ever talked about closets and doors. That's the only time he ever mentioned even having a closet. Jesus didn't even have a house. But he's telling us about closets and doors. What's closets and doors got to do with anything? He's saying to us, I want you to shut the world out for just a little while. I want you to find a spot where you can eliminate as much distraction as you can. For those of you who think you're multitaskers, you're not. But let's just suppose you were. And you say, I can do four things at the same time. I can talk to God and have a deep conversation with Him while answering the phone, listening to the radio, and watching the TV. No, you can't. Not really. How do I know that? Because when I try that with my wife, I get just this horrible treatment from her. Oh, yeah, I can do these three things and still listen to you. Yeah, okay, see if that works. No, she wants undivided attention, and I think the creator of the universe deserves the same thing. Turn off your phone. We'll get to that. We'll argue that in a minute. Turn off the phone, get away from everything, or just put it in another room and and find 30 minutes. That might mean you have to schedule it because it won't happen by accident. Eliminate distractions. Get in that closet and close the door. Second, be still and know that he's God. Psalm 46.10 Before you start getting into this list of things to ask and pray for this person and that person and this and that thing and ask God for this and that, just take inventory of the one thing you know. Be still and know that I am God, he says. And I'm going to take care of this world for the next 30 minutes, God says to you. I want you to trust me as the sovereign Lord that without your participation and without your consideration and without your input, I can run the world for the next 30 minutes. And I want you to remember something else. Your boss isn't God. Your wife isn't God. Your kids aren't God. This world's not God. And most importantly, you're not God. I am. And I want you to be able to breathe easy about that. I want you to take a deep breath and I want you to remind yourself the Lord is God. He's running this universe and he can do just fine without me for a few minutes. Sit down for a while. Be still. And know that he's God. Know that he's your God. And remind yourself of that. And if you've let him slip off the throne and you've put something else on it, use that time to put him back in the place where he belongs, on the throne of your life. And use that. It doesn't take a long time to do that. Third, reflect on what he's done for you. Now, this, this is your Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, in view of God's mercy, in view of everything he's done for you, you, you are going to have a hard time wondering, why should I stop my life for 30 minutes for this God anyway? Here's why. Because he's done so much for you, he deserves your undivided attention for a few minutes. Colossians would say since you've been raised with Christ since God raised you up and seated you in the heavenly realms with Christ you can give him a few minutes right here but don't just stay with the spiritual things think of all the physical temporal things he's given you he has been merciful and kind and given you so many things and that's what's going to cause you to say well I he deserves to have my undivided attention right here Now, if you need some scripture with this, I'm going to provide it for you. Ephesians chapter 3. I want you to put that down on paper. I want you to try this exercise for a few days. This is so against the grain for Churches of Christ that I'm going to have to talk real slow. Because we're not good at this. We measure and gauge our prayers by how full we keep them with our prayer requests. And did I do the same request today that I did yesterday? And if this sounds like ditto, then it's, then it's not really quality. And if I don't fill this 30 minutes full of my requests, if I don't have enough people to name or enough weaknesses of myself uh, to, to pray about, if I don't fill that 30 minutes with my stuff, then that prayer wasn't very good, and I'm not loving God very much. And I think we're all wrong about that. But Ephesians chapter 3, For this reason, beginning verse 14, And I want you to underline this in your Bible because we need to do this, church. Churches of Christ, we're rational. We're Bible study servant people. To sit down and have 30 minutes of, of prayer for Churches of Christ people is difficult because we'd rather be out serving or doing something or feeling better about ourselves. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. You can't get up and do work when you're bowing your knees before the Father, right? From whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory... This is your request. This is the only request in this prayer. That he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. God, I want you to strengthen me in my inner being through your Holy Spirit. I want him to move in me for one reason. Now listen to the request. So that Christ can dwell in my heart. I want God to live here. I want Jesus to be here. I want want to be able to think out of his mindset. You can't think out of his mindset if his mindset isn't in you. And you're saying, I want Christ to dwell in my heart so that you, keep this in mind, being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength. This is weird. This is mental strength, spiritual strength, strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, to know the love of Christ for me that surpasses knowledge. I don't want to just know what he did for me. I want the strength of the Spirit in my inner man to know how wide he loves me, how deep he loves me, how long he loves I want to know. I want to sit in his presence for a while and let him through his Holy Spirit, not through my service, not through my work, not through my memorization, not through 20 more chapters of Bible reading. I want to sit here and let him, through his spirit, convince me how much he loves me. Too many churches of Christ people are trying to earn his love. Why don't you sit and absorb his love? That's what you need. you got to absorb it, and it can only be gained through his spirit in your inner being. We are people who want to work his love out we need to think His love in through the Holy Spirit that He's given us. But you never give it time and you're impatient and you want to get up and do something else. Quit doing. Sit. And let the Holy Spirit, beyond your knowledge, convince you powerfully in your inner being He's absolutely crazy in love with you that's your third step and for many of you that's gonna be as far as you can go in 30 minutes fourth one once you let God convince you of that you're gonna wanna stay there for a while because too many of us feel about our spiritual walk only how we have performed well in recent weeks that's a terrible gauge. It fluctuates. When you do this, you're going to know that even when you've had a bad day, God loves you deep and wide and long. Meditate on the mind of Christ. Don't read 20 chapters to become a Bible scholar. Read a section of Scripture and let his mind be downloaded into yours. The only way you're ever going to act out of the mind of Christ is if you have the mind of Christ in you. But if you don't expose yourself to it, you can't act out of it. Church, listen, I appreciate when people are baptized, and I applaud too. And I rejoice and say amen too. But listen, the job is just starting. And maturity and the mind of Christ happening in you does not happen automatically automatically. We baptize people and then we just kind of say, well, you keep coming to church and that maturity will happen and that mindset will change. And i got to tell you, just coming to church doesn't do it. Even just coming to Bible class doesn't do it. You've got to put that mind on purpose into your head. You've got to transfer that information. Let me share where I get this. Let's turn there again, 1 Corinthians. I didn't put it on screen on purpose. I want you to see it in your own Bibles. So, as I told earlier service, if you're not changing pages on your Bible, just pick up a psalm book and flip the pages so I feel like you are. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, these believers, Paul's reminding them, hey, you're, you're becoming a Christian in a pagan world and people are going to look at you like you're an idiot. They are. They're going to say, you believe what? The gospel? The gospel is foolishness in the world, guys, and it's never going to not be. It's never going to not be foolishness to the person He's just looking at it from a worldly point of view. This story is ridiculous. And so he looks at you and says, you've invested your life in this story. You're foolish. And that's all chapter 1 is. But chapter 2, he says, here's why it's foolish. Because they, aren't, they don't have the spiritual presence of the Spirit to be able to know the deeper truths of Scripture. But I want you to listen with, it, with me. Verse 13, beginning. We impart this in words not taught by human wisdom. We're not, we don't share words and truths that sound familiar to the fallen person. When you talk about, let's just use sexual ethics here, when, when we preach a sermon on sexual ethics and why purity is so important and why it needs to be governed and protected in your Christian life, the world looks at that and says, why in the world would you want to restrain that wonderful freedom? That thing that gets you, just lets you have all the fun, that you? why would you want to? The worldly mind looks at that and says, that is ridiculous. And every movie that you'll ever see says, that's ridiculous. And every person out there just wanting to express themselves. and That's ridiculous, and yet we continue to preach it. Why do I still believe? And I hope that if we lasted the year 3,000, we're still preaching a sexual ethics and purity message from this pulpit and every other because we'll always be out of track with the culture, but we will always honor God's will because we have spiritual eyes to see it. Guys, I know why the world thinks it's fun. But I also know this, I know by a, as, a, as a Spirit-filled person, I know what God says about it. And I trust that even if I couldn't see why it's wise, I'm going to go with God no matter what. But I also know this, there is very good reason why God wants us to be pure. He is protecting us His commandments are not burdensome. His commandments are the best for our freedom. And I believe that with every fiber of my being. If you keep yourself pure till marriage and you stay faithful to your spouse and never go outside of that, I want to say this. You will never regret doing so. You will never regret it if you do the otherwise. You will. Here's what he says. And we impart, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13, we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom. Human beings aren't teaching this. It's taught by the Spirit in Scripture, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person, the person without the Spirit, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to Him. They will always look foolish to Him. And he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. You need the element of the Holy Spirit in you to understand them. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? What does the last little phrase say in your version? Ready? We have the... Okay, come on. We have the mind of Christ. That's what we're thinking out of. When you spend time in the words of Christ, after you've done this, you've eliminated your distractions, you're still, you know God's an authority over you, and you want him to be, and then you reflect on how much he loves you, and then all of a sudden you dive into his word, and you let that word be downloaded in your brain. It doesn't have to be a bunch of verses. It doesn't have to take a long time. If you just take Colossians 3, verse 2, Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. If you just take that verse and you start meditating on it, you say, God, help me today, help me today to not put so much focus on the here and the now and the things that are touchy-feely and spend more time on the things that value you, that are valuable to you, and change my heart accordingly, you're going to suddenly change different and think different. And that leads to the last one. Be silent and let God prompt you. This is going to scare the living daylights out of some of you because you're going to say, what are you talking about? The Holy Spirit in your life. When you're reading Scripture, He's trying to make it real. He's taking into consideration your context and the people that you interact with, and He's trying to take that text that you've just read, and He's trying to make you practice that in your context. And the Holy Spirit's going to come up with some things for you. That does not mean, and so those of you, I'm just going to answer this objection already. It doesn't mean he's going to give you some different revelation nobody's ever gotten before or contradict scripture. What it does mean is he's going to point out concrete ways that you can be faithful to that text you've just read. He's going to bring a name or an image to your mind of a person in your life that you need to say a word of forgiveness or receive a word of forgiveness for. It's no mistake in Matthew chapter 5 that this fellow is going to offer his worship at the altar. And there, in the process of going up to the altar with his gift, there he remembers, not before, not after. There he remembers there's somebody has something against him. It's because while he was meditating on the truths of God in his worship that he often distracted his mind with other things that are too busy. While he's thinking that, God's bringing to his mind through the Holy Spirit in him there's something amiss in your life, something undone you need to fix right now. That's going to happen to you. When you give God some control in your mind, when you give him some time to actually speak to you, he's going to say there's a person that you did something wrong to. You need to go fix that. And when you do that, that's the Spirit prompting you. He may point out somebody to you that you work with on a regular basis that you need to go ask to lunch sometime and have a spiritual conversation with. God's done that before. He may convict you of a sin in your life that you've been too busy distracting yourself from or some shortcoming that you've been ignoring, acting like it's no big deal, but suddenly in the midst of your time with him, he says, it is a big deal to me, I want you working on this, you can't run anymore. I got you where I want you. He may encourage you in a compelling way. He may say, quit working so hard in the church all the time. Quit running, running, running and running. Just let me love you right where you are. He could be saying that. Maybe a word you need to say to somebody. It may be a call you need to make. It may be a card you need to send. But he's going to prompt you, and here's the problem we in churches of Christ, our prayer is all about what you say to him. It's about filling it with your prayer request and your stuff and making sure you remember everybody you promised to pray for. And I got to fill it, fill it, fill it, fill it, fill it. And then when I'm done, I can say amen and go on. No, no, no. Maybe you need to shut up for a while and let him do some talking to you. Let him do some talking to you. You talked enough, God says, and I've heard every word. But now let me work on you. Let that be part of your 30 minutes. Now, why would this be considered an outreach habit? Well, because God's reaching out to you, trying to convert you more fully. And before you can really fully convert somebody else, you need to be in the process too. A lot of us trying to reach out to people with a truth that we don't fully believe ourselves. It's kind of hard to do. The other thing is, as you do this more and more, and you take on the mind of Christ, you'll start thinking like him, and everybody, nobody, there's no way to hide this from other people. Your thoughts will be different, your actions will be different, and other people will wonder, why in the world do you think different? And there's the question that Peter says, be ready to give an answer for the reason that, they, that you have this hope. The truth is, too many of us are thinking and living just like we did before we were believers, and adding church attendance one, two, or three times a week, thinking that's it, and that's going to retrain our minds. There's even a lot of us who don't go to Bible class at all. We sit out in the foyer, we stand around, and we don't even go at all, and we expect our minds to be transformed. How can you think out of the mind of Christ when you resist every effort to absorb it? How in the world can that be? You cannot cannot act out of a mind you don't have. You can't. So absorb the mind of Christ. And the mind of Christ that's most graphic is Philippians chapter 2. Second half, I'm going to take this out of order, the second half is he was in heaven being willing to give up what he wanted to keep in order to provide what you needed. And he came and he died, and he arose from the dead. The mind of Christ in action right there. And for those of us here, if you want to, if you want to be right with God, here's what you've got to do. You've got to bow your knee to that Lord and to that mindset. You've got to bow your knee and confess his name with your lips. You've got to say, Jesus is Lord when you repent of your sins and be immersed in the waters of baptism and you rise to walk this new life. And that's required by the mind of Christ. But the first part of the passage is this. Let this mind be in you. He's not just interested in saving you. He's interested in transforming you into the mind of Christ. Many people want salvation and have it. Fewer people seem to want to pursue that mindset change. But the call is one and the same. If you've never responded and received the salvation he wants to offer you, it's available right now. Just confess his name with your lips and be immersed. And if you do that, you receive the benefits of the mindset of Christ. But then you have this challenge that the rest of us have, adopting the mind of Christ and pursue it, challenge you to this outreach habit 30 minutes a week. Whatever may be your need this morning, make sure that as you leave, you're closer to the mind of Christ than you ever have in intent and reality. And we pray that if there's anything that we can do to help with that, you'll make it known as we stand and as we sing.